Play Fantasy Baseball Show with D. Mindy. Little Cheesecake and Doc starts now. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome in to another episode of the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Show. A proud member of the Fantrax Podcast Network and the FantraxHQ.com fam. D. Mendy here, joined by a pastry that's just a glutton for pitching. That's Art Tornabeni, a.k.a. Little Cheesecake, the LC. LC, how's it going? Oh, good. I mean, I, I got called a pitching slut today. Not <laughs> once, but twice. And you know what? I'm all here for it. You know, when my pitching is very good at the end of the season, I will, I will be uh, uh, singing my slutty ways all the way to the bank. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, in our best ball draft, I felt like every other pick you were taking a pitcher. And I like taking pitchers as well, but I was like, he's just going to try to snipe everybody, take everybody's pitching. So the fact mm-hmm. that I got you twice made me feel really good. Twice on pitchers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also John, joined tonight by a guy who's always the floating head of the show, and that's Eric Mendelson, a.k.a. The Doc. What's going on? Uh, floating heads are a good thing. So thanks, David. Right now you're not, but there's a lot of times where your camera is just pushed up to where you can just see your head and it's like a bunch of ceiling. So I figured you needed to know you needed to stop doing that because it was very weird. I'm pushing it down a little bit more, but I don't want to show too much skin, okay? that's a, I can understand that. There's a lot that you probably don't want to show on you, so it makes sense. Hey, man, not all of us have hair plugs, okay? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well... We're not talking about hair plugs. We are talking about on deck. We have the triple play fantasy outfield part two preview. Before we head into 2021, we're going to give an early look at each position, talk about ranking players in each position group. This week, we're doing outfielders, and then we're doing the 31 through 100 range using NFBC rankings from December 1st as our template. And we're going to be doing that tonight with Mr. Derek Van Riper of The Athletic and host of Rates and Barrels podcast. So make sure to stay tuned for that. After we go to our bullpen for our question of the week, what is the most memorable home run of your lifetime and our game of the week coming in to shut the door? So if you're ready to give this episode a trying, then boy, we're ready to help save your ears from a crying. Let's roll. News and notes, Toronto made a frenzy of moves and the one most highlighted, George Springer, going to the Toronto Blue Jays on a six-year, $150 million contract. Doc, it's a lot of money going to George Springer. What do you think of this move? Well, I guess my dreams were wrong since he didn't go to the Yankees. But good for the Blue Jays. I like when teams are saying, okay, we haven't had any any modest postseason success. We're going to go all in. And that's what the Blue Jays are doing. I think they're capitalizing on a weak division. I think the Rays got worse. The Yankees are always injury prone, and maybe they feel like it's their year where they can win. Cheesecake. Um, well, there's there's a little. Let's say you know. Let's say a few words for the death of my Alejandro Kirk. Love that this signing bumped him out of the uh, the DH position, which is now going to Tay Oscar with uh, Springer taking over center field. Springer's going to be hitting at the top of that lineup. I think it's a fantastic signing for for Toronto. They are serious. You know, the next thing they need, uh, everyone's saying it. Uh, take some of that, take some of this uh, hitting that you got, and now trade for some pitching, and, and we got something going. I love that. I'm hoping they do that as well. And Springer, three time All Star from the uh, thrived as a member of the Astros from 2014 to 2020. He batted cumulative 273 or 270, 361. 
491 slash line, cumulative to a 134 WRC plus and 174 home runs. Helped help the uh, Astros take a couple pennants there, win a World Series championship in the process. And he had 19 home runs in the past postseason, fourth most in the history of the postseason. So um, awesome job with the Astros that George Springer did. Excited that ADP he, going up. See what he does with Toronto. But the Toronto Blue Jays were not done. They brought in Tyler Chatwood on a one-year $3 million year that could reach up to $5.5 million in incentives. And they also brought in another guy for their uh, – well, Chatwood starts. This guy's going right in their bullpen. That's Kirby Yates, who is getting a one-year $8.25 million deal with incentives, assumed to be the closer, although we are never too sure in this day and age. Cheesecake, do you like the Kirby Yates move? Yeah, I think it's a great move. Uh, you know, Yates, you always have to worry about a relief pitcher coming off of a lost season. Relief pitchers have so much volatility in their profile. And Yates, who was one of the best relief pitchers in all of baseball for San Diego, um, you know, he was dropped by a, a bunch of teams prior to that. So, you know, the volatility is is already baked in with, when you when you talk about relief pitching. But Toronto had a definite need. They had, I think, Jordan Romano penciled in as their closer. And this is a this is you know a healthy Yates is a definite step up, and they're putting a significant investment in him. So I'm I'm sure they feel he must be healthy. Yeah, he only pitched four and a third innings this past year, and in his prime over the last two years, a combined 123 and two thirds innings of 1.67 ERA ball, 32 to seven K to walk percentage, and ranked third among relievers during that span. Uh, he's he's a guy that if he's healthy. Blue Jays have that closer that they've been lacking, um, at least a healthy closer that they've been lacking the last couple of years. So we'll see what happens with Kirby Yates, but the Blue Jays are definitely making money moves. The Staying in the AL East here, though, the Yankees also made some moves, re-signing DJ LeMahieu to a six-year, $90 million deal and brought in Corey Kluber on a one-year, $11 million deal. Doc, this is very interesting. What are your thoughts of them bringing back LeMayhew, does that change his value or does that keep it the same for you? And what about this Corey Kluber move? So for LeMayhew, I think his value stays the same. And it's interesting because when we were talking, I believe, second base preview a couple weeks ago, Art was saying how there was a notable, noticeable or notable difference between what LeMayhew wanted and what the Yankees were willing to pay. I'm interested to see where those numbers were prior to these negotiations. But I think this is where he's excelled best in his career and you couldn't ask for a better landing spot. For Corey Kluber, I like that he's going to have a hopeful spot every fifth day in the rotation. As mentioned, he hasn't been very durable the past couple seasons. I know that he is a big name. He's somebody that I probably won't target early because I do think the name value will drive up some. But hopefully maybe he shows some of his old Cy Young form. Cheesecake, I feel like LeMayu is pretty much, like Doc said, going to have same value. He's not going to go up or down. But give me your thoughts on Corey Kluber. Well, I'm I'm going to start off by stealing some of the analysis that John Boy put out on on the sign when the news of the signing came out. You know, did it, did they signed Kluber for eleven million dollars. That is a significant penny uh, that they're paying him. And uh, if they really want to stay under the the luxury tax, they really don't have much room in their in their on their uh, bank account to 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 sign other players. So. So John Boy was hoping that it was like a five million dollar deal, and they would still have you know ten, twelve million to sign other players. The eleven million dollar deal, I think, closes down a few avenues if they do sincerely want to stay under that that uh, 
that salary cap, that uh, that that soft cap. But uh, you know, Kluber, I, I don't know. He's he hasn't really pitched in two years. I, I don't have a lot of faith that he's going to be given us a full time. 162 game season or even like the shortened season, a full season. I don't have a ton of faith in it, but I, I think that, you know, he must have looked really good or else the Yankees wouldn't have been giving him such a big offer. So, you know, I think he's, he's, he's worth a late gamble. And I was, I was okay with it when he was going 250. I think he's going to be going in the top 200 now. And, and with his injury risk, that's too high of a price for me. I think a lot of people are hoping, especially the Yankees, he gets back to that 285 ERA and 28.5% strikeout rate from he had from 2014 to 2018. Kluber is such an enigma. I don't know what to expect of him because he had the right uh, forearm fracture in his last year with Cleveland, and then he had an oblique injury that basically kept him out his entire Rangers career. So some guy that hasn't basically pitched in two years. It's going to be very interesting to see what we get from Corey Kluber next season. While the Blue Jays and Yankees are making moves in the AL East, Padres been making moves all offseason, and they continued that by acquiring right-hander Joe Musgrove from the Pirates. The Pirates are going to receive a package headlined by outfielder Hudson Head, and then they also have Omar Cruz, Andy Rodriguez, David Bednar, and Blake Fellows. Joey Lucchese, who's always near and dear to my heart, is going to the New York Mets in this same deal. So... Cheesecake in Joe Musgrove, what are we getting this year? Because that ADP is going to skyrocket, and what I'm scared of is going to be in the top 100. Well, you know, the the September that he put in, you know, really gave a lot of eggplants around the fantasy baseball world. And I think that uh, I think that there's a lot of love for that. And the skills have always been there. You know, he was the headliner of the Garrett Cole trade that Pittsburgh picked up for for dealing Garrett Cole. The, the, the skills have always been there. The health hasn't. I think what San Diego got here, they're buying in on another, um, you know, somewhat injury prone pitcher this off season. And, uh, you know, you stack enough injury prone pitchers up, you know, Denelson Lamette, uh, Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, even Darvish has some injury concerns. You got Clevenger sitting out the season. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of injury prone pitchers that they've been picking up recently, but, I do think that, uh, you know, if he's healthy, you know, this is a guy people have been waiting on for three, four years to really explode out of the scene. And he's been very inconsistent. His September showed some, some skills improvement. And then, so, you know, you're hoping to bank on that health. That's why he's going up the draft boards. Uh, I'm willing to, to take him where he's going now. I think he's going, what is it, about 130, 140, somewhere around that range. Uh, I'm willing to take that chance on him because the production could be elite. Yeah, and this goes without saying that we got to see what he does outside of Pittsburgh, too. We've seen a lot of these players get away from Pittsburgh, and they seem like that they kind of revitalize their career. So that aspect also intrigues me. I also thought it was kind of intriguing that the Padres haven't had to give up Mackenzie Gore, Ryan Weathers, or Adrian Morahan at all on any of the deals. So they've kept their top three pitching prospects in place. with a lot of these trades. I know they got rid of Luis Patino, but other than that, with all the guys they've been bringing in, it's pretty interesting. Eric, what do you think about Joe Musgrove? Well, I think it's good for his real life value because he was 18 and 26 in his career with the Pirates. And for most of the time, he had a high three or low four ERA. So not really getting the run support there. So hopefully for his own personal stats, this does well. 
I think it just bolsters the rotation because I think what we saw in 2020 was pitchers ramping their arms up quickly and a lot had significant injuries, Clevenger, Verlander, Scherzer at one point. But I think we're going into an uncertainty where we don't know how many games we're going to play. If them, if pitchers ramping up their arms again in a short period of time, will do that. Um, so I think it's good that the Padres are having these extra arms, just like the Blue Jays. I think they're going all in the next couple of years to try to win a World Series. What if it was a Blue Jays-Padres World Series? We'd all be cool. here for that. All be yeah. here for that. Yeah, and, and the last thing about Musgrove, coming off of a personal best 14.4% swinging strike rate, actually placed 10th in the majors in strikeout percentage at 33.1%. So there's that appeal that everybody likes in Joe Musgrove. Another move that's kind of been a little bit under the radar, Jose Quintana to the Angels. Trash. Agreeing, agreeing to a one-year $8 million contract to kind of help stabilize the horrible Angels rotation. And right now it's Dylan Bundy, Andrew Heaney, Griffin Canning, and you would expect Jose Quintana to slot in around the number four spot here. Doc, I'm assuming no interest for you? Banana peels, milk cartons, uh, tangerine peels. What do they all have in common? They're trash. They're trash, just like Jose Quintana. Uh, Don't I let him burn you. I'm proud I figured that out. What about you, Cheesecake? I, I mean, he'll give them innings. He's He's got a good relationship with Madden, who uh, who knows him well. Um, I, you know, there's, I, I, I think he's a fine late round snatch at, at someone who's, who's probably going to get some innings. Um, I wouldn't expect elite level production, but I would expect you know, him to accumulate some, some good production, just accumulating it though. Yeah. If I mean, you like guys that have 11 losses, you'll like Jose Quintana because he's had 11 losses three times in his career. That go. specific number. He's thrown almost 1500 frames in his career and has a career 3.73 ERA expected to get a lot of innings. So you could do a lot worse at the end of your drafts with him for sure. A couple other moves, lesser, a uh, $5 million contract in his first year with the nationals next year is going to be a mutual option. Archie Bradley signing with the Phillies on a one-year $6 million contract and Michael Brantley re-signing with the Astros for a two-year $32 million deal. A couple other small moves that were happening there. A lot of moves happened within a week, gentlemen. It's pretty crazy. I think the most since the offseason has began. which means And the Trevor Bauer player. is still not signed. I think he'll be signed by the next show. That's my hot take. Um, but there is something else we would like to bring up, and that's also what occurred with the Mets the Mets announcing owner Steve Cohen announcing that the organization has terminated general manager Jared Porter following the harassment of a female reporter in 2016 via a string of 60 plus unreturned text messages, which included unsolicited and explicit images. So it goes without saying this is the right move, but further investigation could make sure that Porter faces a suspension, which will basically make it really hard for him to reinstate and apply to work with any other MLB team ever again. So cheesecake, my question to you was the action done swiftly enough, or would you have liked to seen it done sooner? It seems to me that they just found out. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that the Mets knew about this when they hired him. It seems to me that this just came out and the re- reaction was very swift. And then I think it was appropriate. Doc. Yeah. I mean, if they knew before and they didn't do anything, hoping it wouldn't get leaked, that is a whole nother issue. I, I believe Steve Cohen hopefully is doing the right things starting off his ownership, but this just goes as a message to guys. I mean, 60 unreturned text messages, 
look, harassment is a real thing. It's the 21st century. It's, you know, people are being transparent. There's social media ex- to expose it. It shouldn't have even had to get to this point, but don't do this. We all care about certain women in our lives, whether they're daughters, moms, grandmothers, aunts, friends. Imagine if that was someone that happened to you that you cared about. Please, guys, let's just be better and be supportive of the women. Women and, and women in general, but I think this is showing a light to women in the sporting community as well, because it sounded mm-hmm. like she was a little bit hesitant to do any more reporting. So that's just it's completely unfortunate and, and, and just disgusting that this guy basically chased this woman from wanting to chase her passion. So I, I do think I saw a couple of people pushing back that they thought he should have been done a little sooner. It seemed like I woke up and I saw this news and then by that same day he was gone. So it, it, I think that the action was done well enough. I think this is a different Mets organization and I wouldn't necessarily lump this into the old Mets. I think they are turning the page and there's a brighter future here. So uh, I'm not going to lump this with kind of the old regime here. So I think everything was done appropriately and hopefully there's less news of this coming in the future. But you're here for baseball talk. So I have to ask you guys, do you like what you hear so far from this show? Because make if you do, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button wherever you find your podcasts. Want to hear more triple play? Great news for you. We have a fantasy football show and a fantasy basketball show that you can check out available anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the content, how about lighting up the Apple Podcasts app with a five-star rating and review to support the show? Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at TripPlayFantasy. Eric runs our social media and provides daily questions, horrible takes, and of course, our weekly episode drops. Our podcast is like the nibbling on a puppy's paw. Put those little puppy pads between your teeth. Nothing better. Thank you to our loyal fans for tuning in each and every week. And before we get out of here, I want to shout out the SP Streamer podcast on the Fantrax Network with us. They have raised nearly $10,000 for the Bourbon Barrel League, which is a nonprofit to help redistribute baseball and softball equipment to kids so they can play the game that we all love. And when we drop this episode, we're going to make sure we put a link uh, coming from our episode drop to the tweet where you can continue donating to a great cause that does not need to stop just because their fundraiser ended. They also ran a great three-hour event with Eric Cross, Chris Clegg, Shelly Verstrait, Paul Sporer, Matt Williams, Dave McDonald, Ryan Bloomfield, Toby Baffle-Crazy, Vlad Sedler, Nick Pollock, Mac Freeze, and Mike Curlin. Most of those have been on our show. You know how great guys those are. They did a great fundraiser. I want to make sure I shout out every single person that was a part of that. And the SP Streamer Pod, Bugga Shikawa and Michael Simeon, they're absolutely killing it with their podcast and doing tons of great things. So please make sure you donate to the great cause they started. And we echo everything that they're doing there. Very proud to be on the same network with them doing podcasts. Here, so here. But we are going to be right back with our outfield preview part two with Derek Van Riper right after this quick break. Tonight, we welcome in a man that arguably might be the biggest former Sam's Club associate ever. This former Badger knows how to market, write, edit, and produce content better than your daddy knows how to bring home the bacon. You knew him from Rotowire and now part of The Athletic and the Rates and Barrels podcast. The man with the voice of my dreams, Mr. Derek Van Riper. How's it going, man? Going really well, David. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. It's probably the best intro anyone's ever given me, so uh, thank you for that. It was very kind of you. No, of course, man. I, you're the best that does it, and you're the host with the most, so I just wanted to try to, to try to get on par with you tonight if I could. Um, but 
first, a congratulations is in order being one of the FSWA best baseball podcast finalists, man. So that that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, great to see new names on that list each and every year for finalists, for writing awards, for video awards, for podcast awards. Uh, this industry has grown so much since I started at Rotowire. I started there as an intern way back in 2005. So it's been a long time now. And I think the industry has exploded with talent. And it's great to see. It's fun to be out on different shows. It's great to get to know new people. And uh, very proud of my coworkers and the work we do just to even be a finalist for an award like that in a field that's just as low as ever. And again, you guys are some of the best that do it, if not the best. And you set examples for pods like ours and others that are kind of trying to get our feet off the ground and, and get ourselves out there. You guys set a great example for us. So we truly appreciate, especially when someone like yourself comes on our shows and does this. It really means a lot to us and allows us to uh, connect with people like yourself. So it's really awesome. And uh, the one thing I did notice you attended the University of Wisconsin, uh, or have you heard of the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. It's probably the closest major university to where I went to high school. I went to high school in Waukesha, so about 20 minutes west of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, UWM, one of the biggest schools near where I grew up. Because I remember them in the NCAA tournament and being one of those, uh, I think they were like a 14 seed and they were one of those like popular upset picks. And when I saw your school, and then I think it's Wisconsin-Madison, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was like, they have to be rivals or something. Does that not exist between the two schools? The the bigger rivalry for men's basketball is uh, University of Wisconsin and, and Marquette. Uh, Wisconsin-Marquette's the big rivalry. Marquette doesn't play football, so it doesn't exist there. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that UWM isn't a bigger rivalry. Some of the former Badger coaches have gone on to be head coaches there, and in those years, they'd make a point to play. Uh, Wisconsin Green Bay is also D1 in men's basketball, so we would see them a little bit too. Uh, Bo Ryan, who used to coach here, obviously uh, was at Platteville, a really small school in western Wisconsin for a while. So you'd see like an early season kind of scrimmage against them, things like that. But uh, yeah, I'm surprised UW-Milwaukee's sports aren't a bigger deal because it's a pretty big school in an area where there's plenty of talented athletes. Yeah, for sure. Kenosha needs their own team. <laughs> there you go. You just, you're pulling Wisconsin names out of a hat. You said is University of Wisconsin Medicine. That that's just University of Wisconsin. That's the big one, David. You know that, right? No, I didn't. That's a lot more. That's like that's like Big Ten football. That's Wisconsin Madison. That, now I, I feel really stupid. <laughs> this no, is a good no. transition to talk about baseball to embarrass <laughs> yourself <laughs> even more. College sports not our forte. They, they just literally they just literally say University of Wisconsin on TV. So I assumed that that was Wisconsin and that this was a smaller school. Like, well, let's stop making me look like an idiot for a second. Let's talk about uh. Triple Play Fantasy's Outfield Part 2 Preview before we head into 2021. want to give an early look at every position and how we're going to rank them heading into next season. Using NFBC rankings from December 1st on as our template for these episodes, we're going to look at outfielders tonight, 31 through 50, and 51 through 75, ones we like and ones we don't like. And then we're going to also look 76 to 100 of a guy you can just snag later on that you uh you can boast to your friends that you were all in on. So it should be a fun show. Without further ado, let's dive right in. And let's start in the 31 to 50 range uh, on FB- NFBC here. And Derek, you're the guest. So I would like to start with you. Who's someone in this range of outfielders that you are trying to target a lot in your drafts? 
You know, I think in the 31 to 50 range, hopefully by that point in the draft, I'm not necessarily chasing a category. Hopefully I've got a good foundation, power, and speed. And I'm really just looking for well-balanced players. The guys are just straight up undervalued. Uh, one guy that I keep gravitating toward in that range, I think three years running now, is Michael Brantley. We know he's staying in Houston. The situation is completely the same. You know, the lineup maybe is slightly worse, of course, without George Springer, but they're going to replace him somehow. I don't think the current center fielder for the Astros is in the organization. So I think once they replace Springer, that lineup will look pretty good, if not very good. Uh, Brantley's one of those guys. He's a rare source of mid-round batting average. Run production is always there. He's a little bit light in power, uh, but I kind of look at him as like a, a Jeff McNeil in the outfield, that kind of player where the power history is a bit more stable than it is with McNeil. So Brantley is one of those guys that I love as a absolute like cornerstone, just like easy mid-round guy that's not going to let me down. Uh, probably a more polarizing guy that I get. If I am chasing speed there, I like Victor Robles. I still believe in Victor Robles. I know the stat cast numbers are awful, but he had awful <laughs> stat cast numbers in 2019 when he gave us power and a good bit of speed as well. I think he can be a 15 homer, 25 steal player. I think he can do it without hurting you badly in batting average. And the thing that I like the most about Victor Robles, he's a good defender at one of the few positions where the Nationals care about defense. They care about defense up the middle and nowhere else. So his playing time should be very safe. I know he came into camp, summer camp 2.0, 20 pounds heavier than he had been previously. The shortened season wreaked havoc on players for a number of different reasons. I think he comes back in 2021 ready to go, back closer to that previous weight, and as a, a nice value for us in that 31 to 50 range among outfielders. He also doesn't have Adam Eaton there anymore. So that's one less outfielder he has to compete with for playing time, even if he's struggling a little bit. Um, Andrew Stevenson was penciled in to start in the outfield before they got Schwarber. I don't know what they'll do if obviously the DH comes in there. I think he's got a secure path to playing time. So I really like that call. Uh, Doc, what about you? Who's the first guy you're looking at in this range? So I'm going to stay with a Maryland team, and I'm going to go with Anthony Santander. So in 37 games last year, he hit 261 with 11 homers and 32 RBIs. The 162-game pace would have been 48 homers and 139 RBIs. Now, would he have done that? Probably not. But in his 176 career games over four seasons, he's hit 252 with 32 homers and 99 RBIs. So for a full season, he's probably good for 25-plus home runs. He had a career high in walk rate, a career low in K rate. He increased his exit velocity. His, he upped his launch angle. He upped his barrel percentage. He upped his hard hit percentage. The AL East pitching sucks too, besides Garrett Cole and maybe Tyler Glass now. Is there anybody that you're really scared of facing on a consistent basis? He plays in a hitter's park. Trey Mancini is back. I think he's someone because he missed a lot of time with a wrist injury last year that people forgot how good he was to start out. So I think at his draft position, he is of great value. Is Hinjin Ryu just nothing to you? I, You know, I've never been a big Ryu fan. I, I think he's okay, but I don't know. I just, I never got into it. Well, that's fine. More for us then. We'll take him. <laughs> Cheesecake, what about you? Well, uh, I want to echo uh, Derek's sentiments about Michael Brantley. He's someone who I've been taking in a lot of drafts. Uh, I, I love where he's fallen to, and I think now that he's re-signed, he's going to start creeping back up. I think he's going around pick... 160 right now, which is a nice bargain on him. Cause like, uh, like Derek said, he does have some sneaky power. Uh, and, uh, his projections, 
I think our little soft too, which might be holding down his draft price. Someone else I really like uh, at this range is Jorge Soler. If you really need power at this range, as I said on 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 the last episode, Soler to me is like Teoscar Hernandez with a little less speed, but who just had a poor sample size in 2020, while Teoscar had a good sample size in 2020. The power is still in there in those in that bat, uh, that 40 home run power. I think uh, Soler is 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 a nice. Uh, pick, pick around 144 where you can, uh, where you can get some real premier power, um, and, uh, and, uh, and just bank that, I think. I think he's good for 20 to 30 and perhaps spike in more than 30. No, so Lair is a great call there as well. I was thinking about picking him as my guy. Like you said, people forget all the power he has, but his hard hit percentages and all his hard hit numbers are still very much intact. You have yeah, to think that turns around. 48 homers in 2019 led all of Major League Baseball, so the power is there. Yeah, the, the guy I'm going to bring up, Art, for you, and I'm not going to be this long on all the players I talk about, uh, but I wrote an article on Ian Happ a couple months ago, and I'm really in on Ian Happ for this coming year. And if you look at the differences uh, versus the fastball, which is what he really struggled with when he first kind of in 2019, uh, when he was kind of trying to establish himself, and to 2020 is staggering as a major leaguer. Obviously, seeing that pitch the most, he went from batting 171 and slugging 402 against it to 305 and 610 in 2020. His expected stats weren't far off from the actual numbers, which helps make it realize that this is for real and this isn't something that could regress necessarily. But other, other than that, uh, Hap also dramatically decreased his launch angle from 22 to 11. I think 22 is a little bit too much, which kind of put a little too much loop in his swing. And that helped not only up his exit velocity, but he cut 8% off of his under percentage, popping the ball up in the air, had a nice solid line drive swing. If you look at the playing time next year, roster resource has their the Cubs outfield as Ian Happ, Nico Horner, and Jason Hayward. And Albert Armour is the only other guy, I think, even remotely close to that roster that might even get into the outfield mix right now. So there's not like there's anybody breathing down his neck at the moment for playing time. And he's not only done better with the fastball, but also his K rate, maintaining a decent walk rate as well. He struck out an insane 36% of his at-bats in 2018 and carried over into the first half of 2019 when he got demoted. But since then, he's dramatically changed his approach and cut his strikeout rate to sub-28% each of the last two seasons and the second highest walk rate of his career in 2020 at 13%. I think this is a big sign of uh, him seeing the ball better, choosing their times to swing the bat. And I'm just very much in on him. And if you read the article I have on Ian Happ, you'll see there was a huge part after September 3rd when he got hit in the eye with a ball that his numbers just plummeted. I think that actually stemmed from that. And I'm more encouraged from what I saw from him before he got hit by the ball in the eye than after. So very much in on Ian Happ. I wish I could show this to David from two years ago. I took Ian Happ in our draft and I remember David going, what a waste of a pick. <laughs> he sucks. I mean, he did suck then. So times change. Uh, but let's go to the other side here and let's talk about guys who are fading in the 31 to 50 range. Derek, who's somebody that you're happy to let someone else take off your hands? Yeah, 31 to 50 range. I'm not really going after Tommy Edmond. I, I know flexibility is great. Eligible at second, third, short in the outfield. I think we may have seen the best per game production that we're ever going to get from Tommy Edmond in his debut in 2019. I don't think he's a bad player. I just think people are overpaying for what they saw uh, in that debut. I see him as more of a glue guy for the Cardinals who could be susceptible to losing playing time for stretches depending on how that roster comes together. 
you could do worse with that pick. I think it's really more of a comparative value sort of mm-hmm. issue for me. Uh, I like a guy like Ramon Lariano a few spots later, even though Edmund is going to be better in betting average. I think Lariano gives you more power, maybe similar speed, and you're just not worried about playing time because similar to Robles, Ramon Laureano is a great defender. He's going to be out there each and every day, even if he's having some trouble with the plate. Uh, so I would say that Edmund's probably my biggest fade in that range. If he fell, I'm not afraid to, to take him. Uh, I've also been, so far at least, avoiding Ryan Mountcastle. Maybe one mm. of you guys can talk me into him. Uh, I, I think for all the reasons we like Anthony Santander, we should like Ryan Mountcastle. But I don't see it. I, I think he's one of those guys that he doesn't walk enough. He's maybe going to take a step forward with the K rate and, and deliver a decent batting average. But I, I could see playing time becoming an issue. I know there's pedigree there. He's always been a hit tool and power first prospect. His defense and his arm are the tools that drag him down. But I find myself always chasing somebody else in that range. So for reasons I can't even fully define, I seem to be avoiding Ryan Mountcastle in this range. I'm right there with you, Derek. I, one of the things I looked at his profile that he had a 398 BABIP this past season. That's way, I mean, Seamer has him projected at around 320. So that alone is probably going to bring down his 333 batting average to his probably closer to his uh, 278 career minor league batting average. And uh, he doesn't have any speed, not consistent hitting around him. And uh, there's no veteran presence around there either to kind of uh, help. I think if he's struggling to talk him through things, they're a very young team. I uh, I think he's just going in a range right now where you, you don't you didn't see those growing pains from him last year because it was such a small sample size, like a full 162 game season grind. He goes through that over 21 stretch. How does he recover from that? You know, now I, I think Derek, you're right on with that. I mean, I, I can't touch him at his price. I, I think that's a good call. Cheesecake, what about you? Uh, all, all love to our, our boy Batflip Crazy, who in the Will Myers and Chill t-shirt extravaganza that, that, uh, that, uh, all should buy in on. But, uh, Will Myers at pick 130 is, is a person who I am, I'm starting to fade. Uh, I think that when you look at what Will Myers did in 2020, his barrel rate, 14.8, is his career. His, uh, um, his, uh, his XBA 285. 253 is his career. His X slug 588. He has a 453 career. His Woba was 393. His career is 337. His X Woba is 377. Career 340. I mean, Myers, uh, three, four seasons ago was a five tool. Well, four, four tool. His batting average has never been that great. Um, but he was a four tool master, but he had a few seasons of injury. And I think that 20 looked like, oh, he's bouncing back, but it was just the short sample size. It was, you know, well above career norms and all of these sort of stat cast metrics. I think the projections on him are being very generous right now. I think uh, the bat projects a career year for him. Depth charts is is um, is too uh, is is a uh, is too um, much as well. Can you really project 600 plate appearances for uh, Will Myers this season? I have a hard time with that. I think uh, I think Zips hits it right with their 511 plate appearance projection, but they have him going 25 home runs and 12 stolen bases in that, with a 249 batting average. I think that that is a projection, but I also think that you know the uh, the the uh, last season was 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 the best season he's had in a long time, and I think there's there's some regression coming even in that great lineup 
they have plenty of ways they can go, uh, pl- places they can go, other players they can play if he slumps. Not that I predict that he'll get taken out, but I do think that it's possible uh, the the injury bug hits him again and the performance is not up to what it was in 2020. So uh, uh, Will Myers is who I'm fading in this range. Cheesecake, do you think that he's getting bumped up so much because the Padres offense itself is just getting bumped up? So every single player in that offense, they're like, they're going to produce so much. If you're in that lineup, I'm automatically bumping you up around type of deal. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's not a bad strategy. Draft from good lineups. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm high on Trent Grisham because he's supposed to be hitting atop that Padres lineup. And the Padres, I think, were the second or third best run scoring offense in all of baseball last season. So I, I like it, but I, but I also think, yeah, there's a, there's, there's a bit of a Padre bump this year and as well as a, a Dodger bump that I've been starting to see. Not fair. That's fair. A couple comments coming in DVR. The man, smoothest voice in the business. I completely agree. Our guy Breeze checking in here. What's up, man? Um, Derek, we have, uh, a, we made a little side bet before I get to the doc's answer. Uh, he says Trent Grisham is going to have a better year than Teoscar Hernandez. I'm curious, are you on the Teoscar side with me or are you on the Trent Grisham side with Cheesecake? I'm on Cheesecake side of this. No! I am a little bit careful with Teoscar Hernandez. I think if you look at him compared to Lourdes Gurriel, you see more raw power from Hernandez. There's a little bit of speed. There's a few ways he can still kind of hold his own. But you have to wonder if everything went right for Hernandez in the shortened season. I think with Grisham, we're seeing a player who's always had really interesting plate skills going back to his time, even in the low minors. When he first started out as a prospect, Trent Grisham was this guy that went the opposite way probably too much, so he was showing no power. Clearly, he has learned how to pull the ball as he's moved to the upper levels of the minors and what we saw last season in San Diego. So I'm Grisham over Teoscar Hernandez, and I think both of those teams have pretty crowded depth charts. I think Grisham is a lot less likely to lose playing time I mean, I'm worried about that with Will Myers a little bit, too. I think that projection from the bat is just too heavy in part because of the playing time, but also because I'm not sure that 18 steals is something we're going to get from Will Myers anymore, too. Uh, with Grisham, love the OBP. I think there's a really good chance he stays near the top of that lineup. I think you're getting a good power-speed mix. With Teoscar, I think you have a slightly more uh, easy-to-find skill set as you move through the middle rounds. Derek, I thought we were friends. I'm very disappointed right now. Did you guys ever say what the loser's punishment was? Yeah, you changed the other person's Twitter picture for a week. Okay, All right, that, that's, that's right, that's right. Doc, go ahead, pick your guy. So I'm going to stick with the theme of Tommy's and with Padres players and combine that with Tommy Pham. There you go, with, good transition. With, thank you. The 31th ranked outfielder, ADP 121, that is way too rich for me. Starting with his off-the-field issue, he got stabbed in a brawl in October, and there hasn't been much of an update. I know that the, the stabbing wasn't too bad. It did draw some blood. But when I see something that goes on in somebody's personal, no, no, I'm going somewhere with this. Go think, ahead. About, th- think about Ben Zobris with his divorce. He essentially missed all of last season. No, I I think, just, I'm just wondering how a stabbing could not be that bad. <laughs> yeah, so you're, the way you're describing it. Okay, okay. I'm talking about in terms of actually the impact on his body long term. It's not yeah. something that he was in the hospital for for weeks or months or even days. But yeah. when there's an off-field issue like that, even though he hasn't been charged with anything, I worry about if that's going to take away from his MLB career. The Padres gave him a one-year $8.9 million deal. 
which I think was more of a, okay, we'll give you one year to prove it. I don't think they believe in him long-term. And I think that shows that he's not a lock to play every day, especially with that stack lineup. He had a broken left wrist in 2020. So I'll be interested to see how he bounces back from that because he's going to be 33 when the season starts. Are you going to expect him to steal 25 plus bases like he has in the past? I don't really see that speed being there. His batting average on base percentage and slugging percentage has dropped the last three years. So speed was really his calling card. He's never had a high uh, launch angle or barrel percentage. And I don't think he's guaranteed to play every day. So I think he's a good hitter, but I don't think he's going to win you any category like he did in the past. That's fair. I mean, again, uh, same thing with all the Padres hitters. I think they're going a little higher with the the Padre tax. There's no more Dodger tax. It's Padre tax now. So uh, do what you will with it. But yeah, I think you have to decide. You look at their numbers. Hey, are in the short sample size, and if you look at their age, are they going to repeat the production that you've seen from them? So well said there. Let's move. Wait, to- can you can you show our comment real quick before you talk with yours? Oh, uh, just another wrong comment here. Trent, Trent, Trent Grisham, baby. I think I have to be on the Trent Grisham side as well. No, I don't. We're not on the the Trent Grisham side. I have hair. Is that a, is that someone you know or is this, this, someone, is this that okay. someone that works? That's someone that works at my that works with me at my school. It's funny. Uh, all right, so let's move though to the let's go to someone we like in the fifty-one to seventy-five range. So now um, <laughs> this is getting a little interesting here. So. Derek, let's let's bring his weird doc back on track here. Derek, who in this range do you really like? I have been chasing Kyle Schwarber's cheap power production pretty much forever. And he's coming off a really disappointing short season. He's getting a pretty big park upgrade, leaving Wrigley. We know the wind blows in at Wrigley more than it blows out, makes it more of a pitcher's park uh, in general. And Nats Park is quietly one of the best places for a power hitter. I mean, if he... Uh, is a major factor throughout the summer. Uh, I think we are going to see Schwarber make another run into the high 30s with his home run total. I mentioned this kind of in passing earlier. The Nats just don't care about defense anywhere except up the middle. I'm not really worried about him losing time. Uh, I think they brought him in to really be part of that left field, probably DH mix too. And I mean, look, even if they don't have universal DH this year, I think they will. I think Schwarber's playing time is well over 500 plate appearances. And he We'll get to 30 home runs if he stays healthy over 500 plate appearances. Run production should be good, too. It's still a very good Nats lineup that he joined. Uh, and he's kind of part of the reason. Like I mentioned Teoscar Hernandez before and some things I don't necessarily like about him. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get a handful of bags from him. You're not going to really get bags from Schwarber. But that low average, good OBP, big power sort of skill set that Schwarber brings a lot later is part of the reason why I don't go after Teoscar Hernandez you know, inside that top 75, top 80 overall where he often goes. That's interesting. I think, Derek, you and Cheesecake must have been talking before the show because he actually, I think, also likes Schwarber a lot in this range too. You guys were on Brantley, now Schwarber. Cheesecake, anything you'd like to add to that? No, I mean, well, Schwarber's, I I, I just drafted Schwarber in the uh, Bubba's best ball draft that we're in, but I, I, and I love him. Of course, I'm, you know, watched him, in Chicago and, and the skills are still there. The, the max exit velocity is still there. I, I want to shine a little light on AJ Pollock, a guy who I think suffers from the same sort of concerns that, that, that pulled me off of Will Myers 80 picks earlier, 
well, I'm on Pollock here at this point because the injury concerns that Pollock has are similar to the ones that, that Myers have. Pollock has not really played a full season since 2016 or 2017 when he went 20 home runs, 39 steals. Um, but in, tw- in 2020, Pollock came out and played almost a full season. I think he played 54 games, 16 home runs was on pace for 90 runs and 100 RBIs over the course of a full season, just to give you some context. So I think someone like Pollock is going to be hitting fifth or sixth in that potent Dodgers lineup going around 210. Maybe you spike a healthy season for him. And if not, maybe you get 120 games where you're getting, you're putting him on your bench, but he's always been, he's always been good when he's played. He just hasn't played a lot, but if you get 120 games out of him, you, you have him on the DL, maybe, uh, or you have him on your bench and you sub in someone else, you're, you're substituting some, some production if he goes down and he's not hurting you as much 80 picks after Will Myers. Cheesecake, are you worried? Cause the Dodgers like to rotate a lot of guys in and out of their lineup. You know, I, I know that they, they obviously with their pitching rotation, but they have a lot of guys that can hit on their team too. Like, you know, the, the Matt Beatty's of the world, mm-hmm. Edwin Rios, you know, is going to get at bats, which might shift other guys around. Are you worried that take the injuries out of it that Pollock? I know I, I not I don't have it at the top of my head. I think he struggled uh, mightily versus uh, same side pitching, if I'm not mistaken, last year. Do you worry that they're going to platoon him in any way? Uh, I don't have much of a worry about that. They they didn't platoon him in 2020. I know that um, uh, Jock Peterson is now looking like he's going to be gone. Um, so there's one less outfielder there. Um, I think that you know he he's going to. I, I think he's going to play if he's healthy. Um, then, and they will platoon in another position, perhaps. Uh, but, uh, but he looked, he looked all the part of a everyday regular in, in. All right. That agree. Let's go to, to Doc. What about you? Well, so it's funny. I actually had Kyle Schwarber <laughs> as my guy. I don't know how you messed I, that up. I, I didn't mess that up. That was, it was, should have been you that I went to. That's fine. Derek's yeah. just like, this, this dude's just messing up everything. I'm never coming back here. Yeah. I mean, Derek, Derek and Eric, it must be that, uh, suffix to Eric. Um, there you go. That's really big on him. I haven't been burned by Kyle Schwarber personally. So he's still good on my, in my books, but he was on pace for 29 home runs in 2020. But I look at it, it was a bad year for him otherwise. His batting average was 188. His career average is 230. He had a 308 on base percentage. He has a 336 for his career. And he slugged 393 and his career average is 480. So drastically low for a lot of those. He's going to be 28 when the season starts. And I think maybe some players just need a new change of scenery. It seems like the Cubs have kind of been tanking for the last year, a couple of years getting rid of Joe Madden and Theo Epstein now kind of shopping their players. So I like what the Nats have done. They've done some cheap transactions getting Schwarber and Josh Bell. I think that's that lineup is actually decent now. I mean, if you're assuming they both have bounce back years, that's the the key thing. Is Schwarber and Bell have to produce somewhat but, near what they've but, been. Able. But but I like the I like the players that are hitting around them. Uh, Roto Champ has Trey Turner hitting one, Schwarber hitting two, Soto three, Josh Bell four, Starlin Castro five. That's not a bad one through five. Yeah, what's their six through nine? That's the part I'm concerned about. Uh, Jan Gomes. Jan Gomes isn't bad. Because <laughs> you're a six hitter? <laughs> Give me Jan. Andrew, Andrew Stevenson, who they had hitting one like two weeks ago. There you go. That's all you'd say. Uh, so I'm interested. How do you guys feel about Alex Kirilov? Because uh, he had uh, his bad X projection, 270, 14 homers, 60 RBIs. He's a career 317 hitter in the minors. Stole seven bases in 2019, even though he got caught six times. But... 
Uh, maybe he'll steal a couple bags, makes a lot of consistent hard contact at the ball to opposite field just as well as pulling the ball. And he's going to get a lot of playing time for the Twins. Derek, is that is that somebody that you think you might be in on? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason they didn't want to pay Eddie Rosario was they have a lot of faith in Kirilov taking over a spot. They got another guy, Trevor Larnack, not far away mm-hmm. from contributing too. So we'll see if he gets an opportunity, which I think is more likely if Nelson Cruz doesn't stay in Minnesota. But uh, I do think at the price, Kirilov is worth going after. I think when you have guys that come through the minor leagues that tear the cover off the ball at every level, never really show any strikeout issues, show at least a little bit of patience. I mean, we're not talking about a 10 plus percent walk rate guy. We're looking more at like seven to eight percent in his good stops in the minors. He should transition pretty quickly to the big leagues. If he's hitting fifth or sixth in that twins lineup, especially the counting stats should be there. Um, anytime you're talking about a player, a first year player, the downside range usually includes getting option to triple A for a while. I would say it's definitely true, especially for a guy that hasn't played at that level before. Uh, but I do like Alex Kirilov where he's going. It all comes down to roster construction and roster management. If you take a guy like that as your fifth outfielder, you do want to find someone for your bench who is stable as a source of playing time just to kind of replace them, especially in deeper leagues. And you want to make sure you don't have a lot of other guys who are in the same position of possibly getting bumped off the roster with a slow start to begin the season, too. You only have you know, one or two guys in your active lineup who could get optioned early in a deep league, especially in a shallow league, maybe you can be a little more aggressive. No, I like that. I like that a lot. I think. Go ahead, doc. I was going to say, let's not forget Byron Buxton is going to get hurt at some point in the season. It's not a, if it's a, when. (laughs) Yeah. As a twins fan, I definitely know that all to be true. Let's go to the ones we're fading. Uh, I just want, can I, can I just really quickly, uh, I, I I did, I, I was not prepared when you asked, but I did look up, the uh, the the Dodgers' current depth chart. Their backup outfielders are DJ Peters, Zach McKinstry, and Matt Matt Beatty. I, I I think that looking at their backups right now does help solidify Pollock in my viewpoint. Just wanted to put, point that out. Good job pointing but, that out, Cheesecake. No problem. To, you know, strength that's what we're argument. here for. That's what we're here for. You know, I like that. Let's go to outfielders fifty-one through seventy-five that you are legit fading, Derek. Obviously, we're kind of at this point in the draft. It's not as much of a risk as taking a guy early, but there's still maybe guys that you're just not sold on. So who in this range, again, are you kind of like not sold on them? I'll happily just pass them off and move on. It's actually the first guy in this range, Clint Frazier. Uh, It's not because of anything about Frazier that I don't like skills wise. I mean, I'm a little worried about his defense always being something that can take away his playing time. But even if Brett Gardner doesn't go back to the Yankees, they have a crowded outfield situation. Aaron Hicks is obviously going to play. Aaron Judge is obviously going to play. Mike Talkman is good enough to push Clint Frazier for at least a share of the playing time. And that's if they literally don't add anybody else in the outfield. they got a couple of interesting guys uh, battling for jobs. Greg Allen could be a, a nice bench piece. Socrates Brito is sort of interesting. And they've had some success uh, in player development with castoffs from other teams in that situation. Right? We've seen Gio Urshela. Really have a breakout with the Yankees. Even Luke Voigt, after they acquired him from the Cardinals, really took a step forward. So I just look at Frazier and think, you know, in the overall top 200, it's too steep for a guy that probably isn't going to give me a lot of batting average, should give me some power, doesn't steal a ton of bases, and could lose playing time because of his defense. And it, it would help him so much if they didn't have Stanton locked in to be the everyday DH. Like we know Stanton's got a pretty extensive injury history. But it just leaves Frazier with a really narrow path to 
holding an everyday job if he even gets the chance to have one at the beginning of the season. So just based on price, I have to stay away from Frazier right now. Derek, is this the year that Clint Frazier is finally freed? Is it the year? No. No, I don't uh, think so. Uh, they got several years of control left, and they, they like him as a bench guy, so or as a part-time guy. So I think that's what we're left to, to deal with. We need to make a hashtag that doesn't already exist. Hashtag free Frazier, because it's like there was the free Aaron Jones, free Clint Frazier hashtag. Let's get it going. Cheesecake, who's uh, the guy that you're looking at in this range? Uh, Yasiel Puig is going at 244. For me, that is still too too steep of a price for a person who who didn't play at all in 2020 and isn't currently on a team. Uh, there was a recent conference call where he uh, he said he is ready to change after uh, there was criticism of his maturity and that he will start to listen to coaches now. And I I think that's just super that he's going to start to <laughs> listen to coaches now. You know, hilarious. <laughs> but but who's going to sign him? Uh, Atlanta uh, signed him in the summer. Uh, do they still have an eye on him? Uh, Miami might be able to to fit him into their outfield. I know they had some some uh, some interest in him last summer, but but where else really has interest in him? Cleveland does not look like they're they're looking to sign anyone or like they're wanting to compete at all. Other places that are you know potential potential needs. You know, teams that are are rebuilding. I I don't see him as a great fit when they could possibly put in a a younger player that they might be trying to develop. And then you look when he does sign, if he does sign, Puig is a person who's only ever been to 600 plate appearances twice in his career, and the projections show that that he's not going to get there. The projections uh, say that he'll get in the mid 300s. So you know that career OPS of 823 is really nice, and the skills he brings when he plays. You know this is. Yasiel Puig is a player who I thought might become the best player in all of baseball his rookie season as he developed, but he really hasn't developed, and a lot of it has been that maturity, you know. But now he's going to listen to coaches, so you know I should, I should let him give a second chance. But I'm not going to have him on my team to get that second chance, you know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he signs somewhere and and proves me wrong, though. Do you, Do you know who his agent is? Rachel Luba. Bold it's a weekly pr- Luba shout out. Bold prediction. She's waiting until a team is waiting to sign Trevor Bauer and Puig. They come in a package deal. No, no chance. No chance. But we'll say, go ahead. We can stay with you. Those guys are in the same place. Like, yeah. (laughs) Oh my God! Can you imagine? She only represents people with personality. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, Bauer could throw at someone's head, and then Puig could take on the entire team. It would be perfect. Yeah, maybe it's not as crazy as we think. Go ahead, Doc. Who's your guy? So for me, it's Andrew McCutcheon, and I feel bad because I like him and Tommy Pham as players. They have a lot of personality, but I don't like him going outfield 54, uh, ADP 202. The last four seasons, his war has dropped from 3.7, 2.7, to 1.5, to negative 0.2. He's not giving you the batting average anymore. In the last five seasons, he hasn't hit above 280. And in fact, for those last five seasons, he's hitting under 260. His walk rate dropped dramatically from 16.4% to 9.1%. And that's not uncommon for players as they get older because your hand-eye coordination gets worse. And in a sport like baseball where you're seeing 90-plus mile-per-hour pitches, sometimes that can happen drastically. 
He was on pace for eight stolen bases last year, and I'd say that's his ceiling. If he played a full season, he's not going to give you that steal upside. So what are you going to get from him? Maybe 10 to 15, maybe 18 plus homers, but I don't think he's going to give you 20 consistently. I think he's a great ball player and somebody that you want to have in your clubhouse and a veteran presence, but somebody that's going to give you those counting stats. I think those best days are over for him. Hating on the older guys. Being real mean tonight, but I'll, I'll go with a younger guy in that range, and that's Austin Hayes. And maybe you guys see something I don't. So if uh, if you guys see something that you think I'm wrong about with him, but I looked at just looking at his Statcast page, name a stat to not be impressed with. His walks were under league average, less than league average barrel percentage, launch angle, exit velocity, x slug, x woba, hard hit percentages. His x bas showed regression against all the pitches he faced, and he had a 42.9 percent whiff rate on breaking balls this past season. So the league kind of sees that stuff, and I'm sure they'll adjust the next year if they see he has problem with breaking balls. Uh, his ground ball percentage also jumped to nearly 50%. Line drive percentage under league average. And again, it's there's nothing in his profile. doesn't hit the ball very hard at all. I, I don't think there's anything about him. For him going this early, there's nothing to, him, to me that says this guy needs to be on my team. So I'm glad we can all agree. No Austin Hayes for us. <laughs> I, I think he's interesting. Based on tools, I mean, I think you're, you're buying into a level that he's never been able to deliver at the big league level. And he hasn't had that many opportunities to play. It, it was mm-hmm. late season call up in 2019, a really late season call up in 2017, injuries in between, and then a shortened season last year. Uh, it's kind of now or never time. He should have every opportunity to hold down a regular job there. Uh, but there are definitely some concerns. I, yeah, you're using StatCast as the primary lens to look at Austin Hayes. You're just not going to bother with him at that price. <laughs> I, I seem to have a, a somewhat of a blind spot to players who haven't have have very little major league track record, and because of that, I, I mostly avoid them. So guys like Kirilov and and Hayes, when they break out, I I usually miss them. Uh, so that's something I'm I'm trying to work on to get to know these guys better, so and to to learn when you can trust them, but. These young guys, to me, are, are are so volatile. What you might get from them—that's that's one of the reasons why I often just stay away from them. That's fair. I mean, I definitely could be a strike. I think for me, Kirilov is because I'm a Twins fan, so I've been very familiar with what he's been doing. But I could see it for ones that you're not as familiar with. Well, I, I looked him up when you said you you liked him, and and they do have him projected it with every day at bats right now. So mm-hmm. as long as Cruz doesn't get resigned, I think, as as Derek did say. Well, again, Rosario's not there, too. So Rosario, yeah. he would take Rosario's spot. But let's get to the last guy of the night that we're going to talk about. And that's somebody that's basically a dart throw outside uh, the top 75, 76 to 100. Derek, this is somebody that you think, hey, I'm going to try to snag at the end of my draft. Somebody I believe in can outperform what they're at right now. Who's that guy? I'm actually here for an Oscar Mercado bounce back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there were reasons to be careful where he was going in drafts last year. He wasn't a hard avoid, though, for me. I had him a few places, and clearly everything went wrong. Uh, the hitting coach was actually away from the team uh, for Cleveland in 2020. I think that had an impact on some players there. This is a team that's pinching pennies harder than just about any team in the league right now. Oscar Mercado's going to get another chance to be the regular center fielder in Cleveland. There's a little bit of power. There's some speed. There were pretty interesting on-base skills in the upper levels of the minor leagues. We saw that when he debuted in 2019. We're talking about almost pick 400 overall. So one of the very last players on your roster, an easy player to drop and, and swap out for someone else on the waiver wire a couple weeks into the season if he's not playing enough or 
if he gets off to a slow start and you want to just turn that roster spot over to somebody else. Uh, so I, I just think, look, it, he's still young enough where we, we don't want to judge any player based on the debacle that was the 2020 Major mm-hmm. League season. If you liked him at all going into last season, you should love him at this price as a possible bounce-back candidate just on principle. And all those stolen bases he can provide for you that late, too. I mean, that alone is is valuable. I agree 100%. Doc, what about you? Who's your late-round dart throw? Yeah, Derek, great pick. And and especially you mentioned where he's falling this year. I think he's, he's a bargain. For me, it's Mitch Hanniger. And I know that the durability is a big concern. But I think it kind of stems from one injury. So in June 2019, he ruptured his testicle. We're very familiar with that, yeah. We've all been hitting the balls, and we know it hurts like crazy. I can't imagine actually rupturing a testicle. Mm -hmm. But what happened was he tore his adductor muscle recovering from it. And then in August of the following year, he herinated a disc in his back, or herinated a disc in his back, trying to return too quickly. And he took all of 2020 off to, to heal. But in 2018, when he played 157 games, his triple slash was 285, 366, and 493 with 26 homers, 93 RBIs, and eight stolen bases. He finished 11th in the MVP voting. He was off to a good start in 2019. He was on pace for 38 homers before the injury. Once again, was he going to hit that? Probably not. But somebody that's shown that he can hit 25-plus home runs. Each year with the Mariners, his walk rate, his launch angle, his barrel percentage has gone up, and he's projected to hit fifth behind Kyle Lewis, who is who's projected to hit third with a 364 on base percentage, and Kyle Seeger, who has a 355 on base percentage. So he might have more opportunities with runners on base to provide more RBIs. Yeah, I mean, I think also it's format context here. I think if you're in a best ball or like a uh, an NFBC draft, a lot of times there's a lot more risk for injuries. You can't put those guys on your roster that have those much injury question marks. But I think if you're in more of a season-long league where you can take that gamble, I think that's definitely a good call. Cheesecake, who's your last guy? Aaron Hicks is my last guy. When you're drafting these these late outfielders, uh, opportunity to play and lineup context is, is, is really hard to come by. You're trying to get guys where you, you're hoping to get 500 plate appearances and hit it at the top of a lineup. And Aaron Hicks does all of that, and he does it with the Yankees. Um, now, there's a massive injury risk with Hicks. He gets he seems to get injured most every season. He did have a healthy 2018 where he hit 27 home runs and uh, and uh, and had great counting stats. But he uh, 19 was was a was another injury plagued season. In 20, he was mostly healthy, but his performance wasn't that wasn't that great. But I I I'll tell you this, and and take my word for it, the Yankees still trust him. He's still going to be going out there for him. He, he's uh, like I said, he's only 31 years old. He's projected to hit third in that Yankee lineup, and uh, and if you spike health, I think this is a guy who has you know a, a great background as a prospect and has produced in the bigs before. His walk rate is fantastic, uh, so he's going to be getting on base, a lot of run scoring, and a lot of RBI opportunities. As if you spike that health. And uh, he's going currently around 285. I, I've picked him as high as 250 myself. I, I really like the uh, the opportunity that that you get with him of getting someone with with all those counting stats at power at this late uh, at this late point. Yeah, I think I don't remember if I heard you say this or not that he's supposed to hit third or projected mm-hmm. to hit third. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that he sits third in that lineup. That alone is worth it. 
Um, he's shown he can produce when he's healthy. So I, I like that call. If we're sticking with a guy that hasn't shown he can be healthy again, seems like that's a theme right now. Adam Eaton, I think back in with the White Sox, roster resource has him hitting second in a stacked White Sox lineup. He also, looking into his Fangraphs page, he had a 260 Babbitt this year and had never gotten below 294 and had been very much in the 300s for the rest of his career. That 294 was his first two years with the D-backs. Um, he's not going to hit the ball hard, but he's going to give you double-digit steals, a lot of runs, doesn't strike out a ton, gives you a good amount of walks. And I think this is a guy, he has a healthy line drive rate at 26%, and he's going to see a lot of pitches in that lineup. I think this is somebody that is going to give you a, a very good stability type of pick here. Um, you know, you could be your fifth outfielder and you can feel good about it as long as he's healthy. I think he's going to give you a lot of good counting stats. So little guy you could snag right there. Hey, David, do you want to make a friendly bet off uh, the air that I don't think Adam Eaton hits double digit steals if he's healthy? How many games would that require? That's why I was saying we can do it off air. We can figure yeah, it out. Yeah, we could figure that out. Uh yeah, we're all the, Derek's on this show and we're doing all these bets. I don't know what it is, Derek. You're just bringing this all out of us right now. <laughs> but Glad great positive discussion. influence on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> great discussion with the players, guys. Let's move next to our question of the week. And that is sponsored by Shady Rays. And I got to know, what do you like to wear when it's sunny? When you're playing baseball, trying to hit a home run off of Derek Von Riper. What about playing poker or even podcasting? That's right. You wear shades because you're tired of getting ones that don't work or that make you look totally unfab. Shady Rays is here to change that as they want you to own the best quality, most polarizing, and most affordable shades that you can wear for any occasion. Whether your sunglasses break, get scratched, lost, or broken by a foul ball, they replace that good old thing for you. For every order placed, Shady Rays donates 10 meals to Feeding America and have over 13 million donated meals to date. And if you like what you're hearing, use code TRIPLEPLAY at checkout and you get 25% off your order, which excludes just the RX series. And again, the people that did not hear me, 25% off your entire order using the code Triple Play. Don't throw shade. Instead, wear them and use Shady Rays. So That was great. David, you should send that slogan, that slogan to them. Yeah, maybe they'll adopt it and give us a lifetime supply. We'll see. But uh, our question of the week, what is the most memorable home run of your lifetime? Very loaded question. Derek, you're the guest. I'd like to start with you. What is your pick? Sure. So the Brewers made the playoffs for the first time in my lifetime in 2008. I became a Brewers fan after moving to Wisconsin 10 years before that. They were bad pretty much every year until about 2004, 2005. Like once Prince and Corey Hart, and Ricky Weeks, JJ Hardy, at least they became watchable when those guys arrived, right? Uh, so the immediate home run that comes into my mind is in 2008. Ryan Braun hit a home run that broke a tie. It was late in the season against the Cubs. I think it was the last day of the season he actually hit it. Uh, ripped one into the left field bleachers at Miller Park. It's just burned into my memory. It's an iconic <laughs> home run in Brewers history. Uh, they got knocked out of the playoffs by the Phillies <laughs> like a week later. It was the first time I'd ever been to a playoff game, though. So like that moment, that Braun home run, making me realize that I, as a Brewers fan, could actually experience playoff baseball. Uh, that was a huge home run for me just as a fan of the game. So probably a big one for Brewers fans and one that just about everybody else on the planet has forgotten about over the last 12 years or so. So wait, that was the, the same year that CeCe got traded to them, right? Mm-hmm. From, um, in the Matt, La- was that the Matt Laporta trade? Matt Laporta, it was yeah. the Matt Laporta, Laporta trade. 
Yeah, Brantley was their player in that deal. I think he was a player to be named later, maybe. You're right. I think I do remember seeing that now. Wow. Wow. It's a pretty good trade. But everybody wanted Laporta. So uh, (laughs) the fact that Brantley ended up being good was just Cleveland getting a little bit lucky and selling something (laughs) out of that deal. I think I saw Matt Laporta as like a politician now or something. It's pretty wild. Is it the uh, same Matt Laporta? I think so. Yeah, I, like I saw he has like a Twitter, and it's uh, it's like old like baseball player, current politician, or something like that. Nice. He's in a suit and everything. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, Doc, who, what's your pick? We'll just throw out another throwback brewer named Casey McGee, one year wonder. But mine, as a Nationals fan, how can you say anything besides Howie Kendrick, Game Seven against the Astros? I feel guilty because I've used this, and I had another one in case somebody took that, but. That for me, as a Nationals fan, it's going to be hard for anything to top that. That's fair. He actually had two home runs you could have used. Because the one to beat the Dodgers too is also the, pretty. The, the one to beat the Dodgers, but I'll never forget watching that clang off the right field post. I mean, think about an opposite field home run to break a tie. I think it's called or, a pole. Whatever. <laughs> Go ahead, cheesecake. Um, the the biggest home run of my lifetime. Uh, was Joe Carter hitting the home run off of Mitch Williams to win the 1993 World Series. One of the best calls in the history the, uh, of sports. The announcer says, touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a beer home run in your life. What a fantastic call. What a fantastic moment. Uh, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention that, watching that with, with Mitch Williams, who uh, I'm a Cubs fan. I remembered him from his days with the Cubs. Uh, and, 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 and like, the fact that he became the goat after, like this goat after that home run to Joe Carter. I mean, there, it was, it was a, a cultural moment to have that home run. But for me, as a Cubs fan, I'm just going to go personal here. Uh, Javi Baez's solo home run off Johnny Cueto in the eighth inning of game one of the NLDS to me was the most uh, memorable home run. Uh, the Cubs had the best season they had, they've had my entire lifetime in 2016. We get into the playoffs against the Giants team that had won every even year World Series since 2010. And it's, it's another even year and it's zero zero. And, 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 you know, as a Cubs fan, that, that dread settles in that this is going to happen again. We are, we have a, we have a really good team. We're going to come and just whimper going quietly into the night, like, like with our tail between our legs, like we've done every time. And Cueto, with his funky pitching style, quick pitches Javi, and Javi just jacks it, and he admires it so well. And and just and just like Derek said, it got caught up in the wind, and it was this towering home run that would have been out onto the street in in a normal day, but the wind caught it up, and it ends up going into what I have termed the Sandberg baskets of Wrigley Field, where like. Five or six home runs of San, five or six of Sandberg's home runs this season just barely get into these little baskets that are right on the outfield. Anyone who's been to Wrigley Field knows what I'm talking about. And, and, uh, and the place goes crazy. And, you know, the entire stadium let out the sigh of relief that Cubs fans across the world were feeling in that moment. And, uh, and, uh, that, that to me, I'll never forget that home run. I think you should write a novel on that home run. Oh <laughs> my it. gosh, I'm glad I wasn't the only one thinking Uh-oh. that. <laughs> Poor Derek has to hear that. But <laughs> you can tell the passion in your voice though, so I like it. Uh, 
So I, I live in the Washington area, but so seeing that Kendrick home run probably is going to be it just because I root for them. And since if the twins aren't in it and, uh, if you look at the twins, they haven't won a playoff game in like what 18 straight games and haven't won a playoff series since I first became a fan. And their biggest win in the history since I've watched them is like game 163 against the Tigers back. I think it was like 2010 and that was a small ball game. That wasn't even a home run. So. I don't have much to draw from here. So I would probably say just living in the, the Maryland DC area that, uh, seeing that Kendrick home run just, and, and the way that everyone in this area just erupted and how crazy it was. I'll probably have to agree with the doc on that one. You going to help contribute to art on that novel, David. That was not nearly as long. <laughs> Stop that. Stop that. Uh, all right. Let's move to the last part of the show. Shout out and, Taylor. And that's going to be. Our game of the week. Derek, you remember where that's from? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the old NBC, uh, NBA music. For the yeah. Only the real ones know that one. Yeah, that's uh, fantastic. Uh, the Tribes fan, Rajay Davis, 16, World Series game seven, same time, Blast Horse, so you didn't pull that out. Yeah. God, yeah. That's definitely. Probably on the podium for me for all time favorite home runs. I, I don't know. I, I love that because in that moment, it felt like the Cubs fan suffering was going to continue for <laughs> another century, right? And you're like, oh my God, this curse is real. Like, this is actually happening right mm. now. And it was, it was Rajai Davis against Aroldis Chapman. He was yeah one of the least likely players to hit a home run in that situation, and he came through. So I, I thought the Cubs were screwed after that happened. <laughs> that, that was hilarious. I forgot about that. P2W. I figured you knew the, the NBA music too. Let's get to the game of the week. And the game of the week is called What We Got in Common. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you four names and you have to come up with what they have all in common. They're all baseball related. So there's nothing like out of left field or anything like that. And it's only one answer that I'm accepting. So if it's not the specific one, it does not count. And I have an emergency uh extra one if we need it. So we have Six, and then we'll have a seventh one if we have a tie. So everybody game? Yeah. yeah. So how this is going to work is I'm going to read them off, and then you just buzz in with your name and then your guess. Okay. All right. All right. So the first one, and if you guys don't get it, I'll give you some hints along the way too. First one, Corey, Jordan, Clark, and Garrett. They're all Coopers? Make sure you have to buzz in with your name, but that is incorrect. Oh, Art. Art. Okay. That is incorrect. Eric. Go ahead. They're all hearts? No. Incorrect. Doesn't mean they have the same last name. It could be something else. It doesn't have to. It's not limited to that. I'll let Derek get a guess, and then I'll give you guys a hint. All right. Well, I'll buzz in. I'll say, Derek, uh, are they all Rockies? No, but you're on the, you're on the right track here. I'm going to give you their last names. So we have Jordan Montgomery, Clark Schmidt, Corey Kluber, Garrett Cole. All right, Derek. Derek. They're all Yankees. Derek, got it. All Yankees, all Yankees starting pitching. I'll count that. So Derek on the board with one. Let's move to the next one here. And we have Derek, Ozzy, Barry, and Cal. Eric. Go ahead. They're all second basemen. Incorrect. <laughs> Art. Go ahead. They're all shortstops. 
Not the answer I'm looking for. Ah, well, Derek, they're all Hall of Famers. Yes, all of Fame shortstop. There we go. Yeah. Derek on the oh, board with too oh, early. You know what? I think about this now, and I just heard Ozzy. I was like, Ozzy Albies. <laughs> <laughs> Ozzy Smith, man. Ozzy Smith. I know. I know. I thought more about it. All right. This one, I'll be impressed if you guys get this without the hint, but let's let's try this one. Barry, Mark, Sammy, Roger. All right. Go ahead. 60 home run seasons. I'm looking for a little bit more specific than that. Eric. Go ahead. They all had 60 home run seasons and were caught up in the steroid era. <laughs> no. <laughs> Way to take your shot, though, Eric. You know, I'm trying. So I will. So I'll give you guys a hint that there would have been another guy on this list if it was 60 or more home runs. Yeah, that Bambino would be on the list. So there's a reason I picked these four. All right. So Derek, I'm going to say that each of those players was the single season home run leader at one point in time. They tell that record. That's a good guess, but that's not it either. Did we get the hint now? Well, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Roger Maris. I said that there would have been a fifth guy on here if it had been 60 or more home runs. All right, I'm going to buzz in with Eric. Go ahead. They all hit 55 or more homers in You're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> no, all right. They, they all had at least 61 home yeah. runs. Yes, the there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to stick it with four names, so I was like, I'm going to take the 60 off the list. They had each okay. all had more than 60 home runs. That's right. Okay. So two to one and a big old goose egg for the doc. Jeez, I suck at this game. I'll admit yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be between the both of them now. So uh, next one we have another Derek, Albert, Adrian, Ichiro. Eric. Go ahead. They all had more than 250 hits in a season. That's not a bad guess, but that is incorrect. That's the nicest thing you've said to me today. I know. Don't get used to it. <laughs> good one. Uh, Art. Go ahead. They've all won a batting title. Another good guess, but is incorrect. I mashed those two things together. Those, those were both good guesses. <laughs> I don't have any good guesses. We, we just laid the we just laid the platter out for you, Derek. Come on. <laughs> so I'll give you their full names. Obviously, Derek Jeter, Albert Pujols, Adrian Beltre, Ichiro Suzuki. Eric, you talked about how they had 250 hits in a season, and that was incorrect. And Art, you said they each won a batting title. The stat has something to do with batting, and has something to do with hits. They both, Eric. Go ahead. They both led the league in hits and batting average in a season. It's what? No, no. <laughs> I thought you were going to get it. I like the process. I like the process. <laughs> you just combine the two answers. They did both at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> I have another big hint that will give it away if you guys don't get it on this one. Then it's going to be the quickest one who can buzz in. Y'all better take your shot. <laughs> Looking. Oh, man. I'll go Derek and say they all had 200 hits or more in their rookie seasons. Ooh, Incorrect. That's... Incorrect. That was good, though. Art, I think they all have 3,000 career hits. That is correct. Be... Okay. That is all what right, I got it. For. Okay. 
Adrian Beltre has 3,000 career yeah. hits, really? These were four members. I picked four popular names. These are four names of the 3,000 club. Good for him. Yeah, especially usually hitters like him don't get that. So that is pretty good. All right, next one here. This is, I believe, this is number five. I actually have eight of them. But the seven and then the emergency eight. So number five, Frank, Mark, Paul, and Jermaine. Eric. Go ahead. They're all Chicago White Sox. Oh. I'm going to give it to you. I was going to say White Sox on the World Series roster in 2005, but that, that's close enough. I'll give it to ah. you. I'm on the board, baby. I'm coming back. <laughs> hide your kids, hide your wife. So it, <laughs> wow. So it's two to two to one. This took a turn. Yeah. It did. <laughs> Way to ruin the game, Eric. It's your so, job to get us back on track. Next one. We have Joe, Tony, Bobby, and Terry. Uh, Art, go ahead. The World Series winning managers. It's a very good guess, but that's not what the thing I'm looking for is. Okay. I mean, I, I should, I might as well just give it to you for that. I, I said famous baseball managers. They're four of the top ten in wins. So, okay. Yeah, but that's, that's a, yeah, that's a good answer. I'll give that one. That's probably actually better than the one I, I wrote down for it. So I'll give that to you. All right. This next one, I will be impressed. This is number six, or I'm sorry, number seven. If Eric, you are officially eliminated. If Derek gets this, then I have the emergency tiebreaker. Jose, Barry, Alex, and Alfonso. Eric. I know you knew it. I know you knew it. Go ahead. 40-40 club, baby. There you go. So I actually no, I think you can still tie now because it's three to two to two. Yep. Do the so eighth we'll go, one. Yeah, we'll go to the last one. Johan, Justin, Jacob, and Max. Eric. Go ahead. They've all won Cy Youngs. That is not the answer I'm looking for. But it is right? No, this one it actually is not the exact answer I'm looking for. And is a reason. So Derek, uh, they all throw no hitters. It's another guess, but no. Art, they've had 250 strikeouts in a season. No. Can you say the names one more time? Johan, Justin, Jacob, and Max. Hmm. Art, multiple Cy Young Award winners. Give that man a stake. He's got it. <laughs> all right. Yeah, Eric, you were close. They all have won a Cy Young, but these were four of the select lists that have won multiple Cy Youngs. Oh, so close. So close. Uh, you were going to fight your way back. Close. Derek started, and Derek started out strong. Too. I thought Derek was just going to just sweep this whole game. And then uh, Cheesecake slipped in there. So Cheesecake, you get your 15-second FaceTime to thank your fans, and then we're going to get Derek out of here. Uh, I, I have, you know, less than 200 followers on Twitter, so th thanks to my fans. Uh, Derek, thank you for coming on. Uh, it was great to have you here. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me. Why, why did they call you Cheesecake anyway? I, have, I haven't heard <laughs> that story. He's Little Cheesecake, actually. That's his, his full name. <laughs> That's my, it's my, it's my rap alter ego. Um, I, I like to get into rap battles on, on the Twitter. No, actually, uh, David found a found a tweet that I had where you were supposed to put Lil in front of the last thing you ate, and that was your rap name. So I was Lil Cheesecake, and he's like, "That's it. 
You're being called Little Cheesecake on the show from now on. And it's been nine, nine, ten months of that. <laughs> I see, you haven't gotten tired of it yet. <laughs> I'm not tired. No, it's cool. <laughs> it's good to have a nickname. Yeah. Uh, Derek, man, really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. It was really fun being able to talk outfielders, joke around with you. Um, is there anything you would like to, to plug or anything you're working on? Any projects you would like to tell the audience? Yeah, we're getting close to pretty much a, a full suite of our, our podcast being up and running again over at The Athletic. Rates and Barrels, The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast and Fantasy Baseball and 15 are the names of the shows. February 1st will be the first week that all the shows are running as though it's like regular season time. So check them out if you haven't already. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Derek Van Riper. You can see it on the screen if you're watching. Uh, anything I write, anything I put out there for rankings, I share on there. So it's the easiest way to keep up with everything I'm doing. And again, the smoothest voice in the business. I did not just say that when I was on the pod the other night, having to compare your voice to someone else's. You do got the smoothest one in the game, man. Really appreciate you bringing that voice on the show tonight. Make sure you guys tune in. We are going to be starting our starting pitcher previews, part one next week with Justin Mason. So make sure not to miss that show. Until then, everyone stay safe, wear a mask, and have a wonderful weekend. Catch you next week.